This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 15th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Like many other states and localities this election day, Utah has medical cannabis on the ballot. Connor Boyack of the Libertas Institute is among those working to ensure that people who need medical marijuana have access. At the State Policy Network annual meeting in Salt Lake City last week, we talked about what cannabis reform looks like in one of America's most conservative states. We're here speaking in Utah. Uh, which is one of I, more than a dozen states, I think, that have some form of uh, cannabis issue on some ballots. Some are local initiatives, but some state ballots. Um, describe what is on the ballot here in Utah this uh, election. So Proposition 2 in Utah is a medical cannabis uh Proposal. It's one that we've been working on for several years in Utah, leading the effort trying to legalize the medicinal use of cannabis. We failed at the legislature uh, with Senator Madsen, who got so frustrated in uh, his last term as a Republican that he quit the party and became a registered libertarian on his way out and now lives in Peru. So uh, he's actually working on that country's uh, cannabis laws and making far greater reforms far more quickly than uh, we're seeing here. So it's super interesting. But you know, look, we didn't succeed at the legislature, so we're taking it to the people. The polling is going very well, and uh, it's likely to pass on the ballot. So uh, help me understand, Utah has citizen-driven initiative? Yes. Okay. So you know, I've talked to Paul Jacob about that, who's sort of the, the leader of, of pushing for citizen initiatives at the state level. He says that this has, uh, you know, an, an, an intended side effect of disciplining legislatures if they're thinking of going against what would be popular will on behalf of something. Utah is a little bit different just because we have some, shall we say, stakeholders who have a disproportionate influence in our state. And I speak specifically of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, or the Mormon Church as it's sometimes known. And uh, most of our legislature, easily two-thirds, is uh, our members of that faith. And they came out in opposition to our uh, proposition. And so even if uh, and when Proposition 2 were to pass, what's very likely is that uh, the proposition would immediately be amended and undermined. So in another state or another uh, issue, you might see that legislative resistance to kind of the, quote, will of the people. The dynamics in our state on this issue are a little bit different, but I think that there are broader issues here to say that citizen initiatives are not always airtight, they're not always going to be protected, uh, they're always up to uh, the discretionary influences of the legislature in the session or two or three that follows. Case in point, in 2000 here in Utah, there was a, a civil asset forfeiture initiative. It was called Initiative B, passed by like 69%. But immediately in the years following, prosecutors and police hated it so much that the legislature began chipping away and really undermining it. So I don't think that they're necessarily a way uh, to have any finality to what the public wants. But in terms of the pressure applied and being able to finally get legislators to kind of uh, wake up and 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 be more willing to go further than they otherwise might have felt comfortable with, I think they are a tool um, that can be used kind of as a last resort if the, if the legislature has been unresponsive. Okay. So uh, I know you and some others have sort of cut a deal. Yeah. That is, in advance of election day, you're getting 
you know, halfway there yeah. to to a lot of these things. So describe what the what the deal is and what that might look like in the legislature next legislative session. Like any hotly contested proposal, we have opponents, and we've been duking it out in the 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 public uh, for years, frankly, but specifically for a year on this ballot initiative. And what we actually did is sat down with them and uh, had some conversations. I had no idea if they'd be productive or worthwhile, but. Uh, we were invited by the Speaker of the House to see if uh, there was an opportunity to have a dialogue and see if there was enough common ground to potentially cut a deal. Now, you say halfway, Caleb. I, I say actually, realistically, it's about 90% of what we uh, wanted, we got. But what we were able to do is take proposition to add a few guardrails around it to satisfy the concerns of the opposition in terms of you know, slippery slope to recreational marijuana or youth access and things like this. And so we have a modified version of Proposition 2, but now we have the endorsement of all of our opposition. And so whether Proposition 2 passes or fails here in Utah, what's going to happen is the governor is committed to calling the legislature into a special session two weeks later where this new agreement will be enacted. Uh, whether Proposition 2 passes or fails. We've found enough of a consensus on these underlying principles of wanting to get patients access and not wanting there to be you know, youth abuse and, and so forth, where the language that we have satisfies the opposition, and it's enough for us and patients to live with because it gets a, a significant foot in the door so that we can get the program imp implemented and then for years to come improve it and, and try and incrementally make it better. The worry is that we could force Prop 2 down everyone's throats, but then the legislature undermines it. We end up with maybe 50% of what we want and have all of the bureaucratic inertia stopping it from getting implemented. By bringing the opposition to the table and getting most of what we want, all those obstacles go away. We can get the program implemented and patients can get what they need. So what implication does this have for other states, do you think? I mean, Utah is is an overwhelmingly religious state, uh, especially relative to other states. And uh, the, the arguments that have been uh, provided on behalf of medical cannabis, you know, do they have more impact here? Well, ignore religion for a moment. Let me offer this example. Uh, I think there's only two states, perhaps only one, where the state's medical association endorsed the medical marijuana bill or initiative in that state. Very rare. Usually they're opposed. Sometimes they're quiet and neutral. But usually they're vehemently opposed, as has been the medical association in our state for years. Here we are with a new proposal, gets us most of what we want, and actually has their endorsement. And so if I'm in another state, I'm going to say, look, maybe we're a conservative Christian state, or maybe we're just any state that doesn't have medical marijuana yet, but Utah just came up with an agreement that actually has the explicit endorsement. There's something that we can maybe build on and try and implement. On the religious side, I think there is a, a kind of a bellwether going on here where the Bible Belt states especially can say, well, look, if a very socially conservative, pro-family, Republican, conservative, et cetera, et cetera, community found a way to do it by bringing all the parties together. It wasn't a contentious bloodbath. It wasn't a you know horrible hill that a lot of people died on. They actually came together and they had some conversations and there was a big kumbaya and they smoked a medical marijuana peace pipe at the end. We haven't done that yet, but maybe we we soon will. You know that that to me is something that um, if I'm in another state, I'm going to look at and say, "There's my starting point. Let's let's use that maybe as the frame of reference." And so for for red states um, that are religious or at least socially conservative, um, what advice do you 
offer to the people who are actively engaged in this struggle to get people access, like you know, in many red states in in uh, the you know the eastern half of the United States, there are you know horrific opioid problems that there is some evidence to show that uh, states that have legalized marijuana for some purpose have lower rates of opioid addiction. That's a a medical question, not a political one. But uh, what advice do you offer to people who are engaged in this struggle? I think uh, what we libertarians struggle to do effectively is to utilize emotion. We're very rational people. We're very critical thinkers. Uh, by and large. And yet here you have an issue where it's intensely emotional for people. Maybe they had a loved one who died uh, from an opioid overdose, or uh, maybe they have a daughter with seizures uh, from epilepsy. These are intensely personal and emotional issues. And here we have an opportunity to advance a policy that resonates with individuals on a very personal, emotional basis. I don't think we should be scared of doing that because at the end of the day, these ideas do intensely affect us as emotional creatures. They're very meaningful and impactful for the lives that we live. I don't think we should shy away, if I'm in another state, from utilizing that. We, we often criticize the left for doing this, right? Think of the children and you know Medicaid expansion because they're sick people, so we need to help sick people. But don't look at the details. It's a massive you know budget buster. No, it doesn't matter. Let's help people in need. So I think we tend to shy away from the emotional side and focus on the rational, intellectual side. I think there's a balance to be had. And on an issue like this, we can both champion an increase in freedom while also uh, exploring and utilizing the sincere and authentic emotional issues at play to advance uh, uh, the overall goal. I think that's a, a winning combination. Uh, we've seen it shift Utah from the high 40th percentile uh, just five years ago for this issue. Now it's in the mid 80s. Uh, and, and you know, of course, the national landscape is is changing. Uh, more states are, are passing these laws. And so we've benefited from kind of the climate that we're in. But there's also been a, a five-year-long concerted marketing effort in our state by us and a few other organizations to utilize and share these emotional stories so that people feel more comfortable uh, adopting this new position that just uh, months or years ago they would have thought was crazy. Connor Boyack is president of the Libertas Institute in Utah. We spoke at the State Policy Network's annual meeting last week. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.